Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Because Nathan's being friendly. All right, so uh, it is uh, traditionally the, the most poorly attended day of, uh, of, of worship service. And uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what drives that statistic, but it is uh, year after year proven to be true. Uh, oddly, the opposite is Mother's Day is the, uh, other than maybe Christmas and Easter, the most abundantly attended day of worship. So I don't know if that says something about us fathers versus us mothers. Uh, if you look out in the denominational world, what you'll notice is they've tried to offset that sum. I don't know if you've seen any, I, I haven't seen a lot of advertisement this year like I have seen previous years, but I know a lot of places will do things like Bacon Day, and they just, just pounds and piles of bacon that they'll just give away for free, uh, anything to get a man in the doors, right? That, uh, they say a way to a man's heart is through his, it's not really through his stomach, it's through bacon. It is only through bacon. Uh, or donuts, and so a lot of churches will have donut day, or better yet, go to Heavenly Donut Company and get the maple bacon donut, which is about the closest thing you'll find to heaven uh, this side of, uh, of the pearly gates. But uh, I can't give you maple bacon donuts today, so I'm going to give you what I believe are the next best things, which are dad jokes, to, to begin our, our sermon this morning, uh, because I particularly love a good dad joke like... Why do you never see elephants hiding in trees? Because they're really good at it. That just makes sense. Uh, what, what, which bear is most condescending? A panda. Duh. Like, like man, y'all, y'all, I was rolling in my office about these. these what kind of noise do the witch's broom make? Broom, broom. Like, right? What's brown and sticky? A stick. It's funny, only the dads are joking about any, or laughing at any of these. So uh, I, do, I do have uh, some dads laughing. What did Tennessee, the same thing as Arkansas? Nothing? Oh. Oh. I, I think the best dad jokes are actually the, uh, the stories that are told. I found this one that I thought was kind of reminiscent of my own childhood. Uh, as my sister and I were counting the cows in a pasture, I glanced, or dad glanced over at the herd and said, there's 127. They said, how do you know? He said, well, I, uh, I counted up their legs and divided by four. Which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Anyway, my, my dad was, was the king of dad jokes. We called him corny jokes back in the day. He had dad jokes galore and stories my dad would tell. And it was so funny that me and my dad had this kind of routine that we would do. Because my dad being a preacher, we'd go to gospel meetings. And one of the things preachers love to do at gospel meetings is tell lots of stories at different homes where you've been invited to eat. 
And, uh, and, and so I'd be like, Dad, tell number 27, as if we really had them numbered. And people actually believed that we, we had this little routine that we would go through. And I loved it. And we would laugh and laugh and laugh about that later. The reason I, I begin with this is because today I want to talk about storytelling. And, and that is something that's near and dear to, to my heart. Uh, I love to write and create stories and to come up with different stories. And I find that the Bible is very similar to that. Uh, you know, turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul here, as he's talking about different aspects of, uh, of, of what it means to be a Christian, he says here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you take your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to the over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, to one born at a wrong time, he also appeared to me. I love this passage of Scripture because what Paul is essentially saying here is that the very most important thing that we can do, that we can familiarize ourselves with, that we can be a part of, is the story. The story. Do you not notice there that what Paul is essentially building for this group of Christians who are struggling with debates and divisions and all sorts of things, and in this context, struggling with the idea that there is even a resurrection? He says, the thing you got to get back to is the story. Because it's the story that matters. And I think we get that. We just sang a story. One of my favorite things about the, the song Thomas's song is that it tells the story of how Thomas would have been thinking at the time that he didn't get to see the resurrected Jesus. That idea of, you know, you, you were like everything. We, we put all of our eggs in your basket and you've gone missing and now people are saying you're alive again? I, I got to see it. It tells that story, and then it relates it to the way we have the same conflict of faith, where we need to see the resurrected Jesus. And when we do, when we finally come to terms with the idea that Jesus truly came back from the dead, we have the same response that Thomas did, which is to shout out and proclaim, my Lord and my God. That's how we should respond to the story. The story itself is the grandest and most amazing story that, that ever was. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. So today I, I kind of want to evaluate the gospel or the Bible or this, this story that, that Paul says is of foremost 
important, that it is the thing that matters more than any other thing. I want to evaluate it on the basis of it being a story. How does it measure up compared to human-made stories? Because I would argue that this one is not human-made. It is a true accounting of history, but it is a story from history that has so infiltrated and become a part of who we are as a people that it is a story that gets repeated again and again. How does it measure up as as a readable story, as a life-changing story? done a lot of reading in the past year or so about literature and about storytelling and story making and writing of stories and all the things that are involved in that. And they all kind of come down to the same basic principles of what makes a good story. Every good story has characters that you love and hate. And every good story has this setting that you can see and and unless you're me picture in your mind and every good story has this plot where things happen and there's conflict and then there's resolution and typically every time there's conflict it's a little worse than last time and every time there's resolution it 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 leaves open a door because ultimately what it's trying to do is it creates action and intrigue and mystery and you sit there and wonder what's going to happen next and how is it going to resolve and how are these characters going to get out of this kind of mess and because of that you start to feel for the characters and you create this emotional bond or, or connection between you and whoever it is in the story that you're reading or watching. They have unexpected moments of uncertainty where you You sit there and wonder, how in the world is this going to happen, followed by glimpses of hope. I've listened to and and read a lot by authors and how to create stories. And one of the things that they say kind of across the board is if you're creating a story and you immediately think, okay, this is what needs to happen next, the first thing you should do is scratch that idea and come up with something even more unexpected. Because... That's what we want in a story. We want to see what, we want to have that feeling of we don't know where this is going and we don't know how this is going to fix itself. But because you believe in the characters and you believe in the idea of the story, you're hopeful. You know there's something good coming. Most stories that we really love have themes that are relatable, themes that we we can get behind, ideas uh, that, that we can personally feel relate to us as individuals. And they have protagonists or, or heroes that, that are easy to follow, and we understand why they're doing what they're doing and why they're struggling in the way that they're struggling and, and what kind of support they need in order to get their, their jobs done, and they have a connection from beginning to end. Uh, have you ever read one of those stories where... You're reading along, and all of a sudden, something comes up, and you're like, I remember that from earlier. I I remember back when uh, I I first read Harry Potter, I found it fascinating that you'd be on book five, and all of a sudden, there'd be things happening in book five that you haven't read about since book one, but all of a sudden, they've moved forward in the story, and you're like, oh, that's where that comes in. And you're all excited that there's connections there that you didn't really expect to happen. 
but you're excited because they did. Uh, and it just gets you all excited about what's coming next. The other thing you find in a, in a good story, let me get my thing put back together here. I can't talk and put battery covers back on at the same time, is that they have great endings. I, I was talking to my mom a few months ago, and we were talking about different books and different stories, and I was giving her a recommendation, and her response to me was, does it end good? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, I just need to know if it ends good, because I'm not reading it if it doesn't end good. She has been known to read the end before she will read the beginning. So she needs to get a sense of, does it end happy, or is it one of those frustrating endings where you don't really know what to do with it? We like a story that ends well. And, and if it doesn't, we, we kind of, I, I tell you, it can be the most fantastic book in the world, but with a bad ending, you never want to read anything by that author again. Because we want to, it is something in us as people where we want to see resolution. Uh, I, I remember back when uh, all the Avengers movies were coming out and the Avengers Infinity War came out. And it was, I mean, it was, it was hilarious because I, 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 several weeks before I went to see it, and everybody had same reaction to that movie, if they like those kind of movies. Some people are just, oh, another superhero movie. But the people who like those kind of movies' reaction to that movie was, it was incredible. Couldn't stand the ending. Because it was a huge cliffhanger on purpose, because it was part one of a, of a two-part movie. But it, it was one of those people who didn't know that were really upset with it. Because it didn't resolve. It didn't come to a, the right conclusion. And people had a very strong opinion that that was not the way it was supposed to end. Because we like stories that end well. I don't know if you notice in that how much of that is true of the Bible. I mean, you, you look at all of that. What we expect to be and a great story. All of that is true of the Bible. That, that it, it's full of action and intrigue and mystery. And we were talking this morning about the book of Zechariah and the vision that are at the beginning of the book of Zechariah and, and just the, the, the mystery and the intrigue that is involved in that and how it, it leaves this picture of good things to come and you're sitting there wondering, how is God going to accomplish this? And you see these little glimpses, and, and, but you don't really know. So you're kind of uncertain how all of this is going to work out. And we love that. And, and we love that in the Bible, there's all these heroes we can get behind. And even though they have failures and they mess up, they are, they are incredible people, and they make hard decisions, and they sacrifice themselves for the greater good of others, especially in the character of Jesus. Talk about a good ending. Doesn't the Bible have an amazing ending? I mean, 
I'm not just talking about heaven, which is what we're all still looking for, but even just from a literature standpoint, the end of the Bible is like a capstone. I mean, it just wraps everything up you have in the Bible in this beautiful picture of victory, of God winning, of God being the one who has made everything happen when it should happen, as it should happen, and he made it happen in ways we never would have expected, but it has been incredible. Not only that, we like stories that tell this basic message of a, of a hero who sacrifices himself for the good of others. And there are so many stories that tell that theme that follow that same message, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, I've mentioned many times from this lectern. Uh, Harry Potter, uh, several of Stephen King novels, if you like reading those types of novels, uh, A Wrinkle in Time, Superman, story of a man who, not from this earth, who comes to this earth to sacrifice himself for the sake and good of others. It's amazing to see how often there is this story of the hero who brings hope to a desperate people, and we relate to that. We relate to that because there is just so much truth in that story, in that theme. We see that in small glimpses in our own lives, and we see it in a grand glimpse when we look at the story of Jesus. Today's Father's Day, as we've already mentioned. You know what fatherhood is? What it really is? It's men being like Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. Life would be so much simpler and easier and possibly more enjoyable if we didn't have children. I, I, I don't mean that in any ugly way. Sorry, children. I mean, you got to give up your money and your time and your energy and your wife because now she's devoted herself to these children, so you might as well also. I mean, it, it really, fatherhood is the story of giving up the good so that you can come sacrifice yourself for the benefit of a bunch of hopeless little ones and so that you can raise them up to be good ones. That what Jesus did for us? That same hero story of a man who's willing to give up everything he had that was good, humble himself in obedience, and sacrifice himself for those who were helpless. It's fatherhood. That, that's a picture we see all the time, and it's the picture we see in our stories. I, I just repeatedly, it's there again and again. And then these stories often fall flat, as I mentioned already, if they're seen as being incomplete, meaning have uh, you ever read a story and you get to the end of it and you're like, okay, there's more to this. There's another story. I, what's volume two? Because you know the story's not complete. You know, uh, we, 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 that, that sequel tends to do the job of 
resolving all of the mess that's left at the end of the first one. And we call those cliffhangers. And all of these stories work because they intrigue us and they interest us. When we read these stories and we like them, whether we, we read them or we watch them on TV shows or movies, or we are entertained by stories because we want to know more. We want to know the characters more. We want to relate to them more. They interest us because, honestly, we see ourselves in them in a lot of ways. They invite us into the story. They invite us in because we learn a little bit about ourselves by what we appreciate about these characters and what we relate to and well, I understand why they did this, or I don't understand why they did this. Why don't I understand it? Is, it? is it because they didn't make sense, or is it because I don't understand something? And so we get invited in. We, we like them because they cause us to reflect on who we are as people. That is true of every story. And I know that that is true because I have five children and I have spent the last 14 years of my life reading picture books. Picture books. Books that maybe have 100 to 150 words in them. That tell stories and yet I find myself on occasion even tearing up at a picture, picture book. It, one of the most popular books to give co or high school graduates, you know what it is? Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Things You May Do, or The Places You May Go, whatever the name of the book is. Oh, the Places You May Go, I think. And you know why that's a popular book to give to college or high school graduates? It's not because that's where their reading level is. Maybe with some. but because we relate to them. Even silly things like that, we find ways to interact with and find ourselves in the story. You want to know why the Bible isn't merely a listing of laws, but it is a book of stories? It's because God knows that about us. God wants us to reflect on who we are. God intends his story to touch our hearts and shape our futures. That's how God wants us to relate to it. And this is why I think it is so important that we learn to find ourselves again within the word of God. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I worry sometimes about the way, and, and I'm not picking on this group, I'm talking church-wide, like all the churches I've been invo involved in, where we have started to treat the Bible as a reference book, that it is a place to go and find answers, and once you have an answer, you can put it back on the table or back on the shelf until you need it again. And, and we've treated it as if it is merely an academic exercise of learning 
instead of it truly being a story in which we should lose and find ourselves. One of the things I hate about chapter breaks and verse marking, you know, those weren't in the originals. It's really hard to read the book of Ephesians as a letter when we divide it up into, well, if you'll look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It's really hard to read context and to understand the heart of what's being said when you don't actually read it as the story that it is. They've actually recently come out with, a, if you like the ESV version, something called the Reader's Bible. Have y'all heard of this? I'd recommend getting one. The Reader's Bible. No chapter breaks, no verse marking. It's just the text. So that you can get back into losing yourself in the story, in the message, instead of finding yourself using it as an academic research text. Because the truth is, this book is our story. This book is for us. It, it has all the characteristics of a true story with a hero who redeems. If you look over in Hebrews chapter 9, here I am using it as a, as a turn to this passage type book, but, but I want to point out a couple of teachings from this book. Hebrews 9 verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of the internal inheritance, because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. You know what that's telling us? That this book, this story of redemption is the story that gives us hope. It's the story that that should change us. It's the story that should give us something to hold on to. Over in Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, you look there at verse 23, and it says this, if in, uh, I'll read verse 21 through 23 so you can get the context. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you to his physical, or by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. You know, the point of this gospel, or let me reword that as this story, the point of this story is, is that it is there and designed to give you and me hope. Hope. Now I want to do a, a short little mental exercise with you, which is this. Imagine the Bible never existed. 
that there is no message from God, that there is no message of hope, that there is no standard of a story where we have a redeeming character who has come and helped the helpless. That we live in a world without redeeming stories. What do you have to hold on to? That is a hopeless and horrific world. A, a world where there really is no standard of living morally. A world where we're not taught to sacrifice for the good of others. A world where it's all about what I want and what, what I want to achieve. A world that, that's all about me getting what I what, what I think I deserve to the expense of every person around me. If there's no biblical story and standard of morality, are there faithful marriages? I don't know why there would be. I'm not saying they wouldn't exist, but I don't know why they would. If there's no standard of morality, all you have are, are discarded children. I, I, I would argue there'd be plenty of children. Children come from a, from a practice that people engage in, whether they're moral or not. But the idea of sacrificing yourself for raising those children and putting yourself aside for the benefit of those children, where does that exist with no moral code or standard? doesn't in a world without a story of hope what do you do when you're down and depressed where do you turn where do you turn for the meaning of life if there is no place to go to learn the meaning of life I mean if, if I'll be honest if, if the meaning of life is just to get up and repeat today what I did yesterday, and every day's the same. I, I get up, I eat my breakfast, I go, I go to work, I come home, I lounge on the couch, I go to bed. At that point, why even go to work? If there's no standard of, of doing the right thing, why not take what I want from my neighbor? I'll let him go to work, I'll steal his stuff. If there's no moral code, there's no legal code because our legal system is built off of a moral code that comes from somewhere. I mean, the truth is, this story is the basis for every aspect of our lives, and it gives us hope. Because not only does it make life better today, but it makes the possibility of a better life tomorrow. That's why this story matters. This Bible is effective at reaching our hearts if we let it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel or the story. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. For the Jews first and also for the Greeks. That's what Paul tells the Romans. He's not ashamed of this story because this story is the power that brings us to salvation. 
we got to let it. We have to let the story have that kind of power. And ultimately, the Bible is a cliffhanger. It gives us glimpses of the better future, but, but it leaves the process of moving toward that better future in our own hands. But what will we do with the call to be righteous and to accept a gracious gift of salvation? What do we do with that? God doesn't force us to accept it. We have to choose to accept it, and he leaves it up in the air as to whether we will. What do we do with the message of hope? Will we stand with God or against God in the end? What will we sacrifice in response to Jesus' sacrifice? Will we continue to build the church or to add to the temple, as we talked about from Zechariah 6 today? Or we, will we just do our own thing? That's what we're left with, that. One of the most amazing aspects of, of the story that God gives us is that it doesn't wrap everything up in an, in an epilogue at the end of the book the way many novels does. What it does is it says, okay, the rest of the story depends on you. I like to call us the Acts 29 church. Because the book of Acts ends at Acts 28, in case you didn't know that. We are the next chapter. We are the rest of the story. We are how the story goes from where it ends to where it will end. That's us. We get to be part of this story. And what we do with it will make all the difference. Found this quote I liked. It says, The Bible is one of the greatest blessings bestowed by God on the children of men. It has God as its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture for its matter. It is all pure. And then this quote by Tozer. Now as always, God discloses himself to babes and hides himself in thick darkness from the wise and the prudent. We must simplify our approach to him. We must strip down to essentials, and they will be found to be blessedly few. We must put away all effort to impress and come with the guileless candor of childhood. If we do this, without doubt, God will quickly respond. One of the greatest things about the fact that the gospel is a story is that it does not take a degree in theology to understand it. It does not take some sort of higher education to be able to get the grasp of it. You don't even need to be able to read to understand the story. Stories are timeless, stories are relatable, and they are something all of us, no matter where we're at in life, all of us can understand the story because God intends for us all to have a chance to respond to it. If you're not a child of God, today would be a great day to become one. You already have one father. You could come and be baptized into Christ and gain the greatest father.
because he will adopt you into his family and he will love you as his child. He will wipe you clean of all of your sin and guilt and he will make your life right again. Because that's what his story has all, it's all been about. From the beginning of time, he has been wiping out sin so that he could be back in a loving relationship with us, his creation. If you want that kind of relationship, he makes it simple. Repent of your sins, confess him as Lord, be baptized, have those sins washed away, and join his family. I encourage you, if you've not done that, today's the day to do it. If you need the invitation to get your life right and become a child of God, please come forward and let us know as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.